something I'm really grateful to be able to do this year is to facilitate conversations. And right now, there's particularly a lot of interest in the lives of trans folks and being able to talk with residents in their 80s and 90s about trans folks. It's amazing. It's all these folks who come to the sessions are good-hearted and want to know more, and they're excited. Hi, everyone. This is the AgeWise Podcast. Your assumptions are going to be turned somewhat upside down. When we talk about aging well... It's an issue that nobody wants to talk about. And wisely. I was totally unfamiliar with the term caregiver. You really learn what you're capable of. I'm Jana Panaritis. A recent survey by the AARP Foundation revealed that among individuals who are 45 years or older, those who self-identify as LGBTQ are at an increased risk for chronic loneliness. In fact, for many gay, bisexual, and transgender seniors, there's nothing more lonely than entering long-term care, because moving into a long-term care facility often means going right back into the closet. Well, one person who's working to improve LGBTQ senior care is Cliff Alberger. Cliff is the first ever LGBTQ chaplain resident at Hebrew Senior Life, one of the largest senior service organizations in Massachusetts. It provides daily care for 3,000 elders across nine campuses in the greater Boston area. Cliff Alberger has a Master of Divinity degree from Harvard Divinity School, and he joins us today to tell us about his work making LGBTQ seniors feel welcome in assisted living. Cliff, welcome to the AgeWise Podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. It's great to have you on the show. So to clarify for our listeners, you identify as transgender, correct? Yes, that's correct. And use the pronouns he and him. Yeah, that's right. So before you arrived at the residence at Hebrew Senior Life, could you tell us a little bit about where you grew up? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm originally from um, the San Francisco Bay Area, so a really liberal, inclusive, great place to grow up. I didn't know that being LGBT was controversial until uh, I moved to the Midwest for college. How did you end up in Boston? Yeah, I came to Cambridge for divinity school. I went to Harvard Divinity and currently in a clinical pastoral education or CPE residency. So learning about how to be a professional chaplain. And for us non-religious types, could you explain the role of of the the chaplain generally? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So chaplains are um, typically clergy or people of faith uh, can be from any particular background. So Christian, Jewish, the word is chaplain is traditionally a Christian term, but it's being broadened today um, in the world of hospital chaplaincy to really mean that anyone of any particular um, religious or philosophical background who is there to provide spiritual and emotional comfort for patients. Um, so there are Buddhist chaplains as well as humanist or atheist chaplains, and um, we're available to patients of all different religious backgrounds or no particular religious affiliation because it's really people-centered work and what we care about is the spirit. Mm. And so tell us about Hebrew Senior Life and how you became involved in the LGBTQ initiative there. 
Yeah, I became involved in the uh, initiative because I heard about the position from another hospital where I had worked and I'd done some gender diversity training there. So my supervisor recommended me for this position and I just thought it was so exciting. I can resist it. It is specifically meant to train someone in LGBT elder spiritual care. So we've spent a good deal of time learning about the particular histories of trauma that affect our population. And the whole year is designed to create a more inclusive environment, especially because it is a Jewish organization. So hospitality is one of the primary values of the organization. And it's a really fantastic place to work. It's a large healthcare network in the Boston area with about eight different communities. Some of them are skilled nursing, assisted living, and some of them are independent retirement communities. So we really have people in all sorts of end of life situations and we value them being able to live their most authentic life, whether they have dementia, whether they are a Holocaust survivor, whether they're LGBT, we want people to be able to live life on their own terms. And so for our LGBT elders, that means if they want to be open, they can. And of course, we also respect the choice to be more private because we know that it has come at a great cost to be open to this point in their life. And we also know from statistics that unfortunately a lot of medical providers and nursing home aides are prejudiced against LGBT people. So our work is to create a place that feels like home. You sort of alluded to some of the challenges, but I wondered if you could sort of expand on that, especially in terms of training the staff. It's not common for the staff of senior facilities to have any sort of sensitivity training in LGBTQ care, not through any fault of their own. I've talked to a few people and read a bunch of stuff about this, and the statistics show that staff welcomes training. They just don't know where to turn for it. What has your experience been with the staff? I think that's exactly right. I have had a fantastic experience with our staff here because they genuinely want to know more and they want to know what the right thing to do is and people wonder you know like oh I don't know that person's gender what do I do and um, since I'm a facilitator of these kinds of trainings I get to say you can ask their pronouns they actually appreciate that that's okay Um, that's actually a best practice that's something that the LGBT community is asking for and giving you permission to do. So we go through a lot of vocabulary and um, we describe, I like to um, share my own personal uh, life experiences and on my own terms, because, you know, people, I think people are inherently curious um, creatures and we're curious about everything in life and it's okay to have that curiosity. It's also better to ask questions of me because I'm an educator, a trainer, a chaplain, and I'm going to accept those questions with a certain amount of grace. And I think it's important for them to learn from me that you you can ask me whatever you want. And those questions aren't just to be asked of anyone on the street or of our patients. 
per se. It's important to know about or be able to empathize with some of the experiences that our patients and residents have had. But at the same time, it's not like you have license to just ask someone for their entire life history um, when you haven't built a relationship with them. So we do vocabulary. I talk about my life experience and I'm happy to answer questions. And then oftentimes we do a fair amount of reflection because as our culture becomes more open to the experiences of trans people, it brings up a lot of people's questions and experiences with gender and sexuality writ large. So when we're talking about trans people and pronouns, then people will also bring up that they have a gay brother who is feminine in some ways, or they'll talk about straight people in their lives or themselves because they don't conform to our rigid binary notions of gender. So I think it's really important to have that two-way conversation. And about two years ago, we had a massive training where it was led by the spiritual care department and the rabbi and um, several other leaders from across all different departments, spiritual care, direct care, life enhancement, went to just about every floor and did a one-hour training with all staff. Of course, we do we have had some turnover, and we do have new patients and residents throughout the year. So what we're doing now, I'm in the process of designing an online training so that new staff will automatically take the online training when they start. Mm-hmm. And we're also launching this initiative called Creating Welcoming Communities, because that's what it really is about, welcome and hospitality. And we're going to each floor, and we're now going beyond just talking to staff and talking directly with residents, because at the end of the day, even if the staff is really well-versed in excellent LGBT sensitivity, that doesn't mean that our residents, fellow residents, will be as comfortable. So it's important that we have LGBT programming and conversations, like talking about famous LGBT people like Rock Hudson who are familiar to our population who are in their 80s and 90s and being able to show film clips of things that are very modern like Queer Eye and very you know moving and our patients and residents have had experiences with LGBTQI folks and they haven't necessarily been able to talk about those experiences until now until someone creates a space to talk about it so it's really moving to hear people talk about um, their transgender daughter or their gay brother or their grandchild who is non-binary and they're wondering you know what to make of that and we as chaplains can be there to support them in making meaning and um providing them with information that helps them deepen their relationships with their own family members. Mm -hmm. Your resident population is mixed, right? It's not an exclusively LGBT community, right? No, no, it's predominantly straight and cisgender. And we know that there are always LGBT people in any population. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that they feel comfortable being out if they want to be and be able to live their golden years on their terms. Yeah. Can you give me an example of, without obviously naming names, but 
(laughs) (laughs) An example of of an interaction you had either with a staff person or with a patient who expressed discomfort or a positive experience. Sure. Um, I have a patient who moved in and didn't know if he was going to be comfortable as a gay man in long-term chronic care and, you know, if his partner would be welcome if you would feel understood and seen. I think it it is very invalidating and you can feel invisible when something as central and important to you as your partner and your partnership isn't acknowledged. And, you know, when people ask questions like, were you married Mm. or something about your wife, you know, then the default is going to be no, or I was never married. But of course, that's that's not the whole story, and it may not be safe to share the whole story. So with this particular gentleman, I introduced myself as the LGBT chaplain, and he was just delighted to know that such a person, a position existed. And he actually told me that he already had gotten the sense that he was going to be okay here mm-hmm. because he had seen the Black History Month posters that I'd collaborated with other staff to create because I felt like it was important as someone got on to do LGBT work. um, It's not as if all LGBT people are white. And so we need to really be thinking about the entire population and Mm -hmm. diversity in all forms. So it was important to me to do Black History Month, Women's History Month, and make sure that there were LGBT people who were integrated into Black history and women's history. And because he saw this poster about Black history with gay people on it, he said he knew he was going to be okay. Mm. Can you just sort of take me through a typical day for you? Yeah. um, So I typically work nine to five. That's not to say that most chaplains do, but that is how most residencies are structured. Mm -hmm. So I visit with patients, I meet with administrators and um, discuss long-term goals over the course of the year, like uh, marketing and communications, because Mm -hmm. that's really important. If we are a values-based organization, then how we communicate those values is really important. And we want folks to know in the community, like when they see us at Pride, that this is a place they can turn to, to consider retirement or to consider hospitalization. I do staff trainings, often staff trainings uh, once or twice a week that I'm part of, whether it's a intro LGBT or more specifically about pronouns. We get requests about best practices for LGBT patients as well as LGBT staff because, of course, we have LGBT staff and chaplains are there for patients as well as their family members as well as our staff. So we kind of act as the grease that helps the whole organization running smoothly, especially because we've got this LGBT focus in this role. That means that, you know, as chaplains, like, we're, we're not behind a desk and we're not limited to one floor. We can go anywhere, do anything, be anywhere, and talk to anyone about anything as needed. So there's a lot of flexibility, and it means that we can also network across all the campuses. And we've put together an LGBT task force so that there are representatives from the various campuses who can then implement programs and ideas 
So one of the keys to countering social isolation, obviously, is engaging with people of all ages. Is there an intergenerational yeah. aspect of your work? And if so, could you talk about that? Yeah, multi-generational programming is really important to keep your senior life in general. So uh, one of my favorite programs is when they bring in the little babies. My mom also is a child care provider, so I grew up around little kids, and I think it's fantastic that we have infants and toddlers come join us, you know, and the elders, because many of them haven't seen babies in, in many years or the only yeah. um, young children they're connected to is their yeah. grandchildren, of course. And then for Shabbat services and for other programming during the week, we often have youth come join us. And we have done some intergenerational LGBT programming as well. For example, having young college students from like the GSA come in to talk to our elders. What's the uh, GSA? Oh, it's the Gay Straight Alliance, or actually these days more and more Gender and Sexuality Alliance. Okay. And that way our elders can hear from today's youth about LGBT issues and ask them questions and also share their experiences from the past. Because what I hear from our elders is, you know, like history that I never would have had access to otherwise. No one was teaching me that history in Mm -hmm. school. So there's benefits for both. Has there been a a shift in your view in terms of increased awareness around elder care issues for the LGBTQ community? I mean, you're pretty young, I'm I'm getting, but (laughs) my my sense is that you probably have a perspective anyway. Have you seen a shift? Yes, I have, because um, it's actually quite remarkable. I think the LGBT Aging Project has been working for quite a while now in Boston to um, help various organizations in the area and across the country become more LGBT competent in elder care services. And in a lot of ways, they've been leading the movement. Mm. And yet, when I went to Spain for my best friend's wedding, it happened to be June, therefore Pride. And I happened to (laughs) meet some folks there who were also organizing uh, LGBT competent services for elders. So it's really inspiring to me to see that this is starting to become a global movement. Yeah. Wow. In Spain. Wow. And at the same time, we, we know that LGBT people are still persecuted in over 80 countries around the world. Like we know that it's still a really dire situation for a lot of people all over the world, including our own country. Oh, yeah. Well, what sort of things should LGBT elders be looking for in a senior living facility and their family members? Yeah, I think visible signs of LGBT welcome are really important. This year, we put up rainbow flags at all the entrances and that means that there's actually been a significant amount of conversation behind the scenes, you know, among administrators about what does this mean and are we ready to advertise ourselves as LGBT yeah, competent? That's, that's because pretty bold, I think. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and, it, and it means that you have to be able to follow through on that because right. that sign is, is like a promise and certainly an aspiration. And I think if you're an LGBT elder thinking about where to live or where to receive services. It's important to talk with the admissions or marketing departments about their experience with LGBT 
elders? Like, would you be the first person or are they well-versed in LGBT care? And if they've never had an LGBT person that they've been aware of before, then how open are they to LGBT folks? And along with that, how much enthusiasm do they demonstrate for learning more? Because I think that's one of the keys to being a good ally is that you are willing to always learn more and learn about best practices as we become more and more aware of what they are. So being part of the conversation and not like if an organization or an administrator feels like, oh yeah, we've done that. We already did that then chances are they got to a certain point and then they stopped. Whereas, you know, if they're talking about the fact that we're doing this, we're actively working on this and this and this, then you know that they're making a sustained ongoing commitment to LGBT elders. Mm -hmm. Is your sense that these sorts of services are provided for senior LGBT seniors outside of the Boston area? Because... Boston is so liberal and progressive. Yes, it is. <laughs> Which uh, is great, but, you know, yes. One would hate to have to move uh, to Boston simply to <laughs> find a, a welcoming LGBT seniors facility. And that I really don't know. I can't speak to yeah. other parts of the country because I don't live there and I'm not part of the networks there. Um, I think that there are good folks and good organizations you know, throughout the country. But I do think that too often the burden is on LGBT people to suss it out for ourselves, like what is going to be safe, what is going to be comfortable, what is going to be okay. Yeah. What do you think has been the most rewarding part about it for you, the work that you're doing? Oh, the people, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, my chaplains, I'm in it for the people. And it's amazing <laughs> to me to see um, all the conversations that happen. So like, we put up all the diversity posters at all the elevators and by the synagogue, very trafficked places where we knew they would get attention. Um, same with LGBT Health Awareness Week. We had multicolored posters, you know, every color of the rainbow with different facts about LGBT health and the rather horrifying statistics there. Mm -hmm. And to see people stop and read and talk to one another, staff or patients or family members, it was really quite remarkable to see a whole conversation playing out across the organization. Hmm. Whatever campus I went to, people were talking about them. And of course, you know, they had no idea that it had originated with little me. So it's, I think, always humbling to see what kind of impact you've had when no one even knows. And I think another highlight, something I'm really grateful to be able to do this year is to facilitate conversations about LGBT experiences. And right now, there's particularly a lot of interest in the lives of trans folks, because we're hearing about their lives more today than we did a couple decades ago. And it's more comfortable, it's safer for people to talk about. Mm -hmm. So you know, being able to talk with residents in their 80s and 90s yeah, about I'll trans folks. I bet that's something. It's, it's amazing. It's it's very heartwarming and fulfilling to see that all these folks who come to the sessions are good-hearted and want to know more, and they don't necessarily know what to like say, what, and they're what, invested. Of, they're yeah. excited. What sort of comments do you get from the elder folks? People 
generally appreciate hearing about how I grew up and generally express empathy for feeling like you don't fit in. I think that's actually like a pretty mm-hmm. universal human experience. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. people tend to share their own experiences. They'll name that they've never met someone who's trans or that they recorded the birth of an intersex individual who was operated upon and then they were told to erase that from the medical record. You know, like you just wow. never know yeah. what people are going to yeah. say wow. because you don't know what their lives are until you're in conversation. It's so true. I always feel that, you know, you want to give people the chance to be the best person they can be. All, yeah. All of us. Yeah. yeah. Assume best intentions and meet people where they are and talk, get to know each other. I think that's um, the way to go, and our our national dialogue would benefit greatly from that. Amen. Before we go, is there anything that I left out that you wanted to mention, or do you have any last thoughts? We're doing some interesting programming on famous LGBT people, film and TV clips. We're looking to do some family events so that people can invite their LGBT family members to campus and um, do some sort of reception activity. We had an amazing program earlier in the year with Abby Stein, Uh who... Um, as a transgender woman who was an Orthodox rabbi in the Hasidic community, and then she came out as a trans woman. Um, so it's really powerful to hear her speak. And this year, for the first time, we had a Pride concert, which um, was a lot of fun. We brought in an Elton John impersonator, and everybody loved it. <laughs> and it was just great to see gay and straight patients and residents just like all clapping along, singing along. And, you know, everybody loves the Elton John performance and especially our LGBT folks because it has additional importance, special meaning for them. So how long is the residency program? And what, uh, it's just, it's one year. It's just one year. And what's next for yeah. you? <laughs> next for me, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually taking some teacher certification courses so that I can be a social studies teacher because I feel like the folks who made the biggest difference for me and my life were my high school teachers and they were there when I needed them most. And that was a very spiritually challenging and fruitful time. And I think that's what adolescence is. You're making your own decisions. You're starting to figure out who you're going to be in the world. And especially after working directly with Holocaust survivors, There's a lot that I feel is important for us to talk about in the classroom. You know, like our survivors are dying and who's going to communicate their stories? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that we stay in respectful conversation through all of the challenges of life. Hmm. It's probably too far off for you to imagine, but do you think about your own senior years and what you would want? (laughs) (laughs) Um. I think like anybody else, I want to be able to retire in dignity and safety. I feel like that's such a basic level desire that it wouldn't have even occurred to me to mention that, except that I do work with vulnerable populations and we do have residents who don't feel safe, don't feel comfortable being out to their fellow residents and that I think is 
is tragic. So um, I guess I have to hope for safety <laughs> and I want to be able to do the things that I enjoy in life, you know, listen to the music that I like or watch the programs I like, read the books that I like until you know, if I lose the ability to read, most of our folks do eventually. Mm. So I think that safety, respect, dignity, those are the key ingredients for like a good retirement for most of us, including myself. I'm also, because I've been spending so much time with elders, looking to move back to California because what do people talk about? They talk about their family and sure. family is most important to me, so I want to be near my family. We've been speaking with Cliff Alberger about his work as the LGBTQ chaplain resident at Hebrew Senior Life, which provides daily care for 3,000 elders across nine campuses in the greater Boston area. We'll have links on the AgeWise website to Hebrew Senior Life, where you can learn more about its LGBTQ seniors initiative and about the chaplain residency program, which brings a focus on the spiritual care of LGBTQ seniors. Cliff, thank you so much for being on the show and for the wonderful work that you're doing to help all seniors feel less alone, especially lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender seniors. It's been great chatting with you. It's been great talking with you too. Thanks so much. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, if you like this show, if you're getting something out of it, I want you to tell your friends about it because I want everyone to know you're not alone. Your stories matter and your voices have power. So share this with your friends, share the love, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, rate us. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours. <laughs>